Good morning, church family. My name is Javita Dennis, and I am a member of the University City Community Group. There's been a change in the scriptures, so I'm going to give you a moment to readjust. I'll be reading from 2 Corinthians chapter 1, verses 1 through 11. And while you are looking for that, I would like to invite you to the University City Community Group. We have lots and lots and lots of children, aging from ages um, one year to young adults 22, which is my baby. This letter is from Paul, chosen by the will of God to be an apostle of Christ Jesus and from my brother Timothy. I'm writing to God's church in Corinth and to all his holy people throughout Greece. May God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ give you grace and peace. All praise to God, the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. God is our merciful Father and the source of all comfort. He comforts us in all our troubles so that we can comfort others. When they are troubled, we will be able to give them the same comfort God has given us. For the more we suffer for Christ, the more God will shower us with his comfort through Christ. Even when we are weighed down with troubles, it is for your comfort and salvation. For when we ourselves are comforted, we will certainly comfort you. Then you can patiently endure the same things we suffer. We are confident that as you share in our sufferings, you will also share in the comfort God gives us. We think you ought to know, dear brothers and sisters, about the trouble we went through in the province of Asia. We were crushed and overwhelmed beyond our ability to endure. And we thought we would never live through it. In fact, we expected to die. But as a result, we stopped relying on ourselves and learned to rely on God who raises the dead. And he did rescue us from our mortal danger and he will rescue us again. We have placed our confidence in him and he will continue to rescue us. And you are helping us by praying for us. Then many people will give thanks because God has graciously answered so many prayers for our safety. This is the word of the Lord. Good morning. I'm Howard Brown, the pastor here at Christ Central Church. And um, some of you may not have expected to see me today, but I did get a text this morning at 745 that Pastor Josh, well, the text was, are you in town? (laughs) And I was like, I may be on the way out pretty soon because we were supposed to go out of town today. And um, he was like, I'm sick, I think. Um, I'm going to need you to step in. And so here I am. God's good, ain't he? So as we looked at last week, we saw God preparing the church to be a mission to the world. He poured in his Holy Spirit 
And he said that you're going to be my witnesses to the whole world. And one of these ways that we witness to the whole world, right, is that we are called in mission to go to suffering, to go to suffering. The Apostle Paul is writing the church in Corinth with this letter. And it's a letter, as you understand these epistles, that was expected to be circulated to other churches and now comes to us here as well as as the word of God for his people. And it encourages God's people in their sufferings and to be about the sufferings of others. Look at what he says here in verse 3 and 4. He says, all praise to God, the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. God is our merciful Father and the source of all comfort. He comforts us in all our troubles. Why? So that we can comfort others. That believers, right? Christians, those of you who call yourselves Christians, those of you who consider yourselves the church, are called to go and get into and address any trouble that others in this world or in our community may find themselves in. Why? Because believers have and will receive comfort from God through Jesus to be free to go and jump in and dig in where there is pain and hurt and pressure and despair and disgrace and sickness and destruction and death. But come on, look around especially in a city like Charlotte, especially in this country. Christians, by far, right? Like anyone else, rather, don't seem to be signing up to get the life dealt with beat down, right? But guess what? Suffering, whether you're trying to avoid it or not, happens anyway. Regardless of where you, whether you're strong in the faith or stronger than that of the, or your faith is stronger than that of the Apostle Paul and Jesus, mind you, who suffered, and your theory is don't worry, be happy, and you are really good at projecting positive thoughts on your life and have lots of money to spend on things for comfort, suffering, destruction, and devastation is part of this fallen world story, and we're living right in the middle of it. And it is easy to run, right? It's easy to hide or pretend or drug ourselves into apathy or oblivion. But the church, right, more than anybody else, God's people are actually called to be awakened by suffering, to be awakened to suffering, to go to where it is happening, towards people and places where it is worse to accept and tell the truth of suffering. Number one, to enter into suffering, and finally, to know Jesus through suffering, to tell the truth of suffering to enter into suffering, to know Jesus through suffering. Look at what the Apostle Paul tells the church here in verse 8 through 9. It says here, We think you ought to know, dear brothers, as he tells them, you know, it's important that you enter into the sufferings of others. It's important that you understand suffering. He goes on to tell them in verse 8, right? We think you ought to know, dear brothers and sisters, about the trouble we went through in the province of Asia. We were crushed and overwhelmed, he said, beyond our ability to endure. And we thought we would never 
live, live through it. In fact, we expected to die. But as a result, we stopped relying on ourselves and learned to rely only on God who raises the dead. The apostle says, I want you to be exposed, right? I don't want to spiritualize this thing. I don't want to say, hey, look, you should get into suffering. You should understand suffering. Suffering is a part of this world. Just trust me in this. The apostle Paul says, I want you to be exposed to the truth of our suffering, of my suffering. I want you to know. Paul is telling us not to be ignorant about what is going on, not only with ourselves and others, and, and, you know, be, be, be knowledgeable about it, and don't play the only good thoughts and word talk. We are called to accept and tell the truth of suffering. To speak the obvious, that suffering is not good. <laughs> it is not good. Paul says here that they suffered beyond what they could endure. And it led them to despair of life and that they had a death sentence on them. They could feel death saying, I will have you. Right? I don't know whether you can feel it from Paul's words, but we should let the world know and know ourselves that suffering is not good and not a good feeling. Right? That to despair about life, that's to doubt life is worth living. Despairing about life is, I am going through something so terrible, dying might be better. Right? To believe death is the only thing to look forward to, to or to experience anything that separates you from living this life fully and truly and rightly and freely it is, is bad and it is not good. And we should not like it or love it or settle for it or tell others and others anything but this truth. This is a fallen and broken world. And what you and I have experienced in its pain and isolation and despair and death is strange and scary, and just not right. And definitely not good. And something we can never get used to. We can't look at people suffering and say, well, they're used to it. Right? Well, that's okay. That's just life. You know? We, 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 we misquote this quote, well, the poor will always have with us, so they, 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 you know, those folk or us or whatever. No, suffering is suffering, and it is not good. Some of you may not know, but my mother, who led me to the Lord, suffered a long battle with cancer. Went on to be with the Lord in 2008. And as you may know, I like to share stories on her share a lot about how she loved to cook and care for people, and she was good at both. We'd go to the store. She'd be shopping for folk, and she's like, look, I'm going to get these grapes because Chucky loves grapes. Remember that? I think I told you all this story. And I'm like, Chucky? I don't have a brother named Chucky. <laughs> and she is going through buying groceries for kids in the neighborhood and our friends. They like this. You know what them, they would do? Come and eat it all. They would come and think, ah, and they would call my mom their mom. Ah, oh, I'm so glad mom got me these grapes. Like they would own the thing knowing that, that she brought it for them, right? She would cook certain things. Oh, I'm so glad mom cooked this for me because she knows I like it. 
I wanted them to move on, right? I, I didn't like that. That is a life I remember her having. But the truth is that is not the mama I experienced at the end of her days fighting and slowly losing her battle with cancer, with five different tumors, numerous surgeries, and numerous treatments. I saw her life slowly being sucked away. My dad printed some pictures of her when she was young, and her beauty and from this illness meant her hair was gone, her skin was discolored, she had lost a lot of weight and her joy and laughter and activity. She was a very joyful person, loved to laugh, and it was siphoned away. And we were in the middle of it. And as my counselor at that time put it, death and disease is obscene. It's offensive. We should never feel right looking at it. And rightly so, she should have been up, right? She, what, 60, I can't remember now, 59 years old. Right? Only nine years old I am now. But she should have been up and alive and walking and happy and joyous and eating and please cooking, right? And, and, and making jokes and acting silly like she did. The shell of the woman in life that she became was not right. It was wrong. It is not the way it's supposed to be. It is unhappy and unfair feeling and disheartening. And now for her, like Paul, she and those who experience suffering, it makes you despair about life. Like you almost lose your ability to remember what it was like to be whole or alive or happy. When you all you know at this point or in that situation or in that moment, whether it's a relationship, whether it's a sickness, whether it's a, it, it's a disaster in, 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 in the environment or something, is that something is not right. And so much depression and behavioral disorders, you know what they are? They're responses to extreme trauma. In other words, people have really lost their sense of thinking. They have lost their minds and hearts. They've lost their ability to look up and down and right and wrong. And this is what Paul is saying. We were despairing, y'all. We didn't know which way we were going to go. We were completely out of control in the middle of our suffering because it, what happens is people are traumatized because they have been so hurt, so crushed, made so desperate, and that is not the way God originally made it to be. But now the world is broken because of sin. It has cracks in it. It has potholes in its beautiful landscape. And when you hit one of those potholes, you know, when I hit a pothole in my car, when, when you're young, you hit a pothole, maybe some water in it. I remember driving my dad's car and hitting some pothole, or in Charleston, it would flood a little bit, and you would get that, yeah, rooster tail, right? Until you got to pay for the rust. Or when you hit a pot, woohoo, that was kind of fun until you got to pay for that alignment. See, suffering, when you hit the pothole of suffering, it takes you out of alignment, right? It, now you pull to the right or to the left, and we have been left off center from suffering. Not only those who experience it, 
right? But now the way we tend to want to respond to people because of suffering in the world, now we're pulling left or right instead of going right at it in the ways Scripture is calling us to. In hospitals and nursing homes and hospices, I think I talked about this a couple of weeks ago. Have you been in any lately? It's heavy. It's pressuring. I mean, I went to go see my mom so much in the hospital that I was in Charlotte. She was in Charleston. I was in Charlotte, and me and Kelly and the boys were going in the hospital to see somebody here at the church. And they said, are we going to see Grandma? They thought she lived there. (laughs) It's surreal. But like this ironic, I'm going to call it the ironic sandwich, which we looked at the bottom piece of it, the suffering. Paul tells of the other half of the truth they were called to know and speak to the world. Suffering is bad, really bad, but God is good. Here's a man, right, who's writing this passage that has experienced and may still be experienced with the pain of his world. And he starts off sharing about suffering. How does he start off sharing it? By giving praise to God. Look at these verses here. Look at verse 2. He says, all praise to God, the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. God is our merciful Father and the source of all comfort. He comforts us in all our troubles so that we can comfort others. When they are troubled, we will be able to come. We will be able to give them the same comfort God has given us. Look how he describes God in the discussion of suffering and our call to go to it. God is what? Grace? Peace? Mercy? Comfort? That's in verse 3. I didn't read that. He says, verse 2 rather, May God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ give you grace and peace. We need to know and let it be known because it's easy to forget that there is a God up there and that he is benevolent. Like he is our number one helper. He's our hope, and he is for us. He's for you. And it's hard to believe this, and even easier when you're suffering to get angry at God for letting this or that happen. I do it all the time. When I have regrets and I'm suffering in life, I'm like, ah, I read this a lot of times, but I, you ain't the one, God. You left me. We need to know and tell others because of what we've already discussed about suffering. It makes you lose your mind, right? It makes you foolish enough to live at odds with God as your enemy. You're my enemy because I'm suffering so bad. I don't like you, sovereign, holy, all-knowing, all-powerful, all-loving, benevolent God. I don't like you. makes you lose your mind. This is the Apostle Paul who says that he, Later on, when he talks about being in that situation in Asia, 
that, that says he despaired of life, that he began to think death and suffering were in charge and not God. I despaired because of what was happening to me. That was my thought. God's not in control. What is happening to me is in control. God is not God. My situation is now my God. And as we look around at our lives and say, what is up with God? I remember looking at my mom and who loved him and shared his love with the world. And I think, what's up with God? And though it is crazy to me at the time, the truth still must be told to me in that moment. Probably the Sunday after I preached. I went down Monday, saw her, and thought, God ain't good, right? It has to be said and told to someone else. You have to hear it from somebody else, right? Regardless of what you're looking at. Maybe you're not looking at a person suffering. Maybe you're looking at a marriage that's falling apart and almost dead. Maybe you're looking at yourself in a mirror and says, I can't hold this together. And you must be told the truth anyway. God is good. Let me make it clear. He did not make this happen. He is not the author of destruction and disease. When sin entered the world and results of it became a part of the human experience, God's hands were not dirty. He was not unmindful of the hell we were going to go through. His response to our mess, mercy, right? He responded with mercy and grace and peace and comfort and goodness. And these things were not, were, were, and if these things are true, what the apostle tells us and calls us to, that suffering is bad, but God is good, it must mean and does that God's people are called to go and enter into suffering with that truth. Look again at what he says in verse 4. He comforts us in all our troubles so that we can comfort others. When we are troubled, we will be able to give them the same comfort God has given us. This is craziness. I don't know if I like verse 5, right? Can we do something with that? No, you can't. Okay. For the more we suffer for Christ, <laughs> the more God will shower us with his comfort through Christ. Even when we are weighed down with troubles, it is for your comfort and salvation. For when we ourselves are comforted, we will certain comfort, certainly comfort you. Then you can patiently endure the same things we suffer. We are confident that as you share in our sufferings, you will also share in the comfort God gives us. I don't know what happened with this whole gospel message. That somehow the gospel is about keeping us believers from suffering. But keeping us in prosperity. And we recognize a suffer-free suffer life as sort of getting into, like, like that is the blessing of God for us. I'm not going to say that not having a sickness and not having a disease or not suffering or not having people want, you know, wanting to leave each other and be angry. And I'm not trying to say that is not God's blessing too, but that is not the blessing of the gospel, right? 
the believer's blessing is not not suffering. It's the comfort of God in the suffering. That's the blessing. We'll come back to some of that, but there is this ministry of being able and called to then comfort any in trouble. And then by mentioning Jesus' suffering, we recognize that he came here to earth and thus went to where the suffering was. And now his people go to where the suffering is. You want to be like Jesus? What would Jesus do? Go to the suffering. We don't take them braces off now. Right? Um, Kelly and I, um, actually, Kelly was... uh, invited to be part of an M&A, Mission in the North America Vision Group. It's our denomination's mission organization for ministries in North America. And I was invited because I used to be part of something, and they didn't change the thing up, and so I got to go. Um, and so I was mainly joining her, but they put us in groups. And, we, um, and one ministry we have in our denomination is called um, Disaster Response. We even had a member at our church who was a part of that. And um, what happens is if there's a tornado or hurricane or something like that, that we have, resor- we have resources, people, and money and stuff to go to where that is. Um, and if we don't have a church to work with, we uh, work with Samaritan's Purse or whatever other group that may have something there. And so, um, but it's just good stuff, right? But maybe we're not called to go to a place where there's a tornado, Right? Maybe you just need to go to counseling. Maybe you just need to go to share where and what hurts for yourself. Or maybe you just need to be on the mission of going out to lunch with a person you know ain't doing good. Man, I'd rather go take care, you know, build a house back. Do we really want to go and sit in the kitchen of somebody who's suffering? Most of us would rather go do that kind of thing, uh, the hurricane thing, but maybe you're called to go across the street. It ain't about income, y'all. That's why I've never really, you know, at Christ the Church, one of our visions is, you know, being in the city and all that kind of stuff. And I remember at the time we planted Christ the Church, there was a collision of vision thoughts of what a multi-ethnic church is supposed to be. And and basically what happened is multi-ethnic diverse churches um, became the place and church that would go to where the poverty was, right? And, um, and what would happen is people would, this is one way of doing it. I'm not against it. I'm just saying it was one way. People would move from where they lived and they would relocate in the bad part of town, right? Relocation ministry because we want to go to where the suffering is. <laughs> you mean to tell me across the street, in a gated community, there ain't suffering? You mean to tell me at hole number 10 at the country club, there ain't suffering? Here's the great uh, lie about suburban living, right? If our lawns are manicured and we're right next and we're following the HOA rules, There's no suffering. No. Actually go across the street. Actually go to the pool in your neighborhood and ask that question you don't want to ask. How's it really going? What's happening? 
I wasn't for people moving to the hood, right? As much as that might have increased my, my home value for some of y'all to move to the hood and rebuild stuff, right? I said, I always thought, I always pushed, stay where you are and enter into the suffering in your neighborhood, in your communities, regardless of what the, what the, what the tax bracket is, right? But, and then when you get there, here's the key. Dig into the suffering. <laughs> Lay into it. Take the scab off the wound. To ask, to inquire, to peel back the layers, to open Pandora's box of horrors, to push on the sore or the bruise, to find out and see how bad it is. And with that, to say, does and how does it hurt here? It sure seems like it. It must be painful there. To jump in, to dive in, to get involved, to ask that question, to go down a dark hallway where the monster is, to look into the closet, to bring out the tears and screams, to find the thing, as Paul described in his sufferings, that is bigger and stronger than we have been or can be. He said this suffering was beyond us. Imagine going to a place with somebody else and you're just like, I don't know. This suffering is actually bigger than we can actually personally or humanly handle. I don't like being there. And as a pastor, you know, sometimes I've been there. I've been in rooms, much less in the, in the place where my mom in that room when I see hey, things ain't going too well. And you get there and you're like, what kind of evil? What? Kind, what? It's too much. Have you ever been there where it's just too much for you to handle? Humanly speaking. Look, y'all know I do words for a living. You know what I love about having an English degree? I can sound like I know how to speak about everything. Kelly knows. Like, the I, I, other day I was talking, I'm like, yeah, because blah, 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 blah. And Kelly's like, he don't know. <laughs> and they said, Boy, you sure, you don't know? No, I was just pretending, right? <laughs> like, what about something that just takes your words away? That's the suffering Paul went through. <sighs> to bring out what is not secure and not safe to be dealt with. The goal here is going and digging. It is, it is, is, is not a, it's not abuse, but comfort, right? And comfort and console in this scripture, it's interesting here, is the same word. And if you look at the word comfort in your scripture, the Greek word has the word fort in it. To protect, to guard against pain and grief to protect against the winds of despair, and with that to bring back the center, to balance, to how better to say it, to get the mind and heart and body to a place of reality and hope where they are no longer only despairing of life. And, and it is an action word that means the church is called to dig people out of their issue, to rebuild, to offer physical presence and relief, to redeem, to revive, to remind them of life, to fight for injustice, to be an antibiotic to the infection of human despair in whatever arena you find yourself. And let me say this, to just be another human human presence in the suffering. 
to help them see a living person just sitting there. To help them remember life again and themselves again just by seeing you in their despair. Do you know that that's like a, a grace God uses? Have you ever suffered? Maybe some of us haven't suffered enough to just have somebody else just sitting there. That's why flowers are given to people who are sick, right? You bring the flowers and you just look and you see life. You see beauty. And you're reminded of something greater and something good in the Lord. Instead of what's speaking to you in your suffering. It's a fort. It's a defense. To a scripture says, console them to bring them back, right? Which might mean rebuilding people's towns or homes or giving them medical care or counseling or being, you know, health in a lot of mess or doing or showing a documentary and getting involved in a grassroots cause for justice. You name it. You know, when I was pastoring in Baltimore before coming to Christ Central, we lived in a, I mean, we pastored a, an older congregation. I guess the average age was older then. It don't seem older now that I'm older. <laughs> the average age was about 65 or 70. That's old in the PCA when the goal is to get young families to create a vibrant church. Some of my elders have been elders for 50 years. They taught me something. I would go with them to visits to the hospital or people who are sick. They, y- y- do y'all know what a sick and shut-in list is? Some of y'all might be too young to know. We used to have the bulletin, and they didn't have the sick and shut-ins. And it'd be a list of people who are too feeble, too old, too sick to come to church. But they'd be in the bulletin. And they might do a prayer. You know, we're going to pray for our sick and shut-ins. Their name was in the number. You know what I'm saying? They, they were remembered. Our sick and shut-in list was as long as the people who came to church. So I had lots of work to do during the week. I couldn't sit and study seminary books, online arguing theological points. Pastor Brown, we got to go see Miss So-and-so. Now, she might not know who you are. What? Then we don't need to go. She's not going to remember you visiting her. No. I remember one time, this is a different story. My mom was like, this was because she was a nurse for, for years. Um, and she said, um, she says, this woman wants to meet you. I told her all about my son, blah, 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 blah. She wants to meet you. And so as I'm about to enter the room, she's like, Howard. Now, she has an open wound in her throat. So be prepared for the smell right? Like, I did so many of these visits, I just got used to that. Like, I I said in the Good Friday sermon, open wounds, dying skin, right? But that's not the point. I don't know why I did that. Okay, but here's the deal. This is what my elders taught me. Just go in and sit in there. But we got to do something. I'm a young guy. I just finished seminary, right? I I, I just finished my internship in Atlanta. I'm ready to go. I know what to do. We need to give them words of hope. He said, just 
sick, say hello, greet them, pray for them, and just sit a little while. I'm like, what? The powerful ministry of touch. And they would touch the leg in the bed or how you doing, the shoulder, something. Sometimes they would sing. We're going to get together and sing a hymn. What? They don't know you're singing. They're sleeping. Sing. Pray. Touch. Sit. Listen. I like this. I can fix it with this. Sit still. Let them know in their despair, they are not alone. Like Paul says in verse 7, to suffer with them so that you may comfort them. And it means to be a mediator, right, between hope and despair, which looks like hanging somewhere between life and death. What a bad feeling. Somewhere between despair and breakthrough, which can be the most frustrating place. I was challenged concerning my mom's sickness because I realized that I could only live in one or two places, right? That's how I felt. Either I want her to go on and be with the Lord, go to heaven, or I want her to be better. But I don't want her here. You know why? Because I don't want to be there. In the in-between, the frustrating place of maybe or hopefully and speaking console with truth that, that things are bad, but God is good and I am here. And you can expect to sometimes experience that foolish feeling of expressing that it's going to be okay or I am here. And then there's this silence and fear because you're not sure or can't magic something to happen. And in that moment, why do it? Why feel uncomfortable? Why sit by while death may come? Why sit with your friends and all they're going to do is fuss at each other and blame each other? And you're the problem and I'm the problem and blah, 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 and back and forth. I get tired of that. You get tired of that. Why go deal with your parents? You know how it's going to be. They're going to be irritating. They know everything. You know nothing. Why deal with your kids? They, they think they know everything and they really do know nothing. Why keep going back to see and experience another setback? Dad, guess what? No, please. I don't want to know what happens after guess what. Guess what I think. Guess what I'm going to do. No. Or hear the real bad news of speak hopeful words. That's words with, without self. When it says speak hopeful words, you know what that is? That's words without self-producible results. God's good. He's comforting us. Really? I don't feel it. I feel that morphine, but I don't feel him, right? Sometimes I feel like a hypocrite saying it's going to be all right. Don't you? Sometimes I have to look at it and say, sorry, Kendrick, but you can't say that, right? Maybe that ain't Kendrick. Oh, good. Because it may not be all right. Unless you're talking about the eschaton, we become hypocrites when we try to become God in the comforting situation. We allow our mouths to say things that ain't true. It's going to be good. You're going to get healed. You don't know that. 
everything's looking better. You're lying. And the reason we put ourselves in a hypocritical place in, min, in the middle of suffering is we're trying to relieve ourselves of living in the frustration of sitting there in the suffering, waiting for the comfort of God for somebody else. We are not called to promise anything that God hasn't promised. We're called to be a shield against lies and fears and someone feeling like they are alone and not worth anything or not worth waiting for God in the suffering. We declare these things to free ourselves sometimes from bad feelings. So what is the goal and hope of the mission to go to suffering? Because it seems like God is setting us up to just be a part of some sadistic joke or, or, or you just got to be tough experience and that's not it, it at all. There's good news for the mission of suffering. Look what Paul says here again in verse, again. Let's, let's look, I said we would go back, so let's look again. All praise to God, the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. God is our merciful Father and source of all comfort. He comforts us in all his troubles, all of our troubles, so that we can comfort others. When, when they are troubled, we'll be able to give them the same comfort God has given us. For the more we suffer for Christ, the more God will shower us with his comfort through Christ. Even when we are weighed down with troubles, it is for your comfort and salvation. For when we ourselves are comforted, we will certainly comfort you. Then you can patiently endure the same things we suffer. We are confident that as you share in our sufferings, you will also share in the comfort God gave us. Okay, what's going on? Paul has drawn this web of suffering and comfort, right? So the fabric of ministry is not made, the strength and fabric of ministry to care for each other is not made with things working out good for people. It's a mixture, right? It's a compound fiber of suffering and comfort, right? Not giving it. Experiencing suffering and then experiencing comfort. It creates this fabric, this, this webbing, uh, uh, right? Where you are suffering and I comfort you. And then through that suffering and comfort, when the next person suffers because of the comfort you've received, you have the courage and hope and tools to offer them life to bring them back to center. And when we keep working down the comfort chain, we recognize that our ability to comfort and enter into the suffering of others is only because God has promised to comfort us and them in it through Jesus. You know, I heard about the marriage ministry thing. When I'm, you know, I don't know everybody on that list of marriages to look at, but the ones I do know, oh, Lord, there is a web of suffering and comfort. Baby, we should be pretty good marriage counselors because we've been through some mess. We've despaired of our relationship. We've wanted out many times. And God provided comfort through his people. That's the only reason I can tell you there's hope. Because <laughs> we ain't been good. We've tried to tear each other apart. We've been all kind of sinful to each other. Suffering and comfort. 
And when we think about what Paul says here, that we share in the sufferings of Christ, I can't help but wonder how, because truly none of us have died on the cross for the sin of the world. No, that ain't you and me. This is how. Because Christ experienced, and as our Lord experienced all the sufferings of his people, that as we suffer with others, we share in what Christ has already done and what he does. And that's good news because this is how the gospel works. If we share in the sufferings of Jesus, that those of us who suffer and those who, whom we go to who, who suffer, share and receive freely the power that he is one for us to overcome all the world has to dish out. That when we are there in the mission of suffering, guess what happens? Jesus and his presence and his power and his peace and with it is the very comfort of God, right? Now, let me not make this, because it's so easy to make this an intellectual thing. It's so easy to make this about, oh, the comfort of God or this list of words or this particular prayer or this particular um, uh, means of, of therapy. no. The comfort of God when you study the word are the very hands of God's Holy Spirit. That when we enter into the suffering of those who know the suffering of Jesus, who know what Jesus did for them, knowing how he entered their suffering, those who've been comforted themselves, guess what? Something supernatural happens in that place. No, this is not some humanistic, just go be with the folk who heard it. no. This is a supernatural Holy Ghost call of God's people to enter into the suffering of the world and each other's lives. And guess what is at our advantage and in our benefit and is grace and mercy for us? Jesus Christ, God the Father and Holy Spirit enter into the suffering with us and provides a comfort that we can't even understand into the room. And they won't understand. Why am I still married? Why am I still alive? Why am I still going with this setback and this, this, this besetting sin and this issue? Why am I still alive? Why haven't I taken my life? Why haven't I taken the life of somebody else? Why haven't I just dropped out the bottom somewhere? Because the comfort of God entered into a, a ministering relationship of someone who's known the comfort of Jesus in their lives. Recently went to... Wow, I must have written this a long time ago. I went to see my mom in the hospital. Wasn't a good day for her. I remember telling myself, I'm a pastor. I'm the pastor in the family. I remember getting my Bible ready to roll. I, I, I kind of pumped myself up on the scriptures of comfort. Man, this lady led me to the Lord. It's time for me to do it now. Went with my Bible, went to that room to comfort, to dig in, to tell the truth. It was like someone had told a bad joke because I started saying all the wrong things to mama. <laughs> she, mm-hmm, yeah, baby, right? Y'all know, y'all know that? Y'all ever heard that term from mama? I don't know whether it's true in all cultures, but when someone says, that's all right, baby, Maybe in the Southern culture, God bless your soul, right? <laughs> Thank you, baby. All right, baby. She was comforting me. I know you're trying hard, but that, 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 that's all right, baby. <laughs> she went to sleep while I was talking. <laughs> so her bed faced in a way, and she sat in a way that she couldn't see people going by in the hall. But I was sitting at the foot of the bed so I could kind of look and see folk out of my peripheral vision. And out of the corner of my eye, 
I saw Reverend Mack, Reverend John Mack, the pastor I knew most at the AME church I grew up with in Charleston, grew up in in Charleston. Reverend Mack, one of the, and, and, and I, he, he was one of the best prayers and hospital pastors the world would ever know. And I remember how I felt and looked and sounded like, like, like somebody scared, right? I yelled out, Reverend Mack, Reverend Mack. He came in. Let me pray for y'all. He grabbed our hands and got right in the middle of us, and that brother prayed with the Charleston mouth in it all, right? Sweating, praying. You hear me? And the tears wouldn't stop, and my heart melted, and mama was woke up, and comfort and consolation like you could never imagine entered the room, entered our souls. Looking back, I called out when I saw Reverend Matt because what I was there to do would have failed. Comfort would not have come if he were not there. It's kind of humbling to say it, but your pastor needed a pastor. One thing we need to realize is that when we enter the place of suffering, like Reverend Mack, Jesus is already there. And he comes. In that call, right, to connect with the sufferings of people, to offer comfort, he comes in and he joins hands. It is his intercession and it is his prayer. And it is the Lord who is the God of all comfort as we put ourselves in that spot. It is our mission and it is our grace to experience him in that suffering. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, thank you. I don't know what people are going through. Lord, I do pray for those who do have people coming to them, seeking to give them comfort, and we turn them away because we don't see how they can help, Lord, but help us to recognize it's not their power. You're the God of comfort, and this is how you seek to comfort us with people who don't, know, don't always know what to say or how to say it. Lord, please open us back up to the suffering so that we can seek comfort. Lord, I've seen your supernatural power work in dark places, in dark times in people's lives. I've seen things come up out of people that we didn't know was there. But Lord, you knew and you were ready. Help us, Lord, not to run from suffering as if it isn't part of the gospel ministry. Lord, I do pray for those who are suffering in here right now. God of all comfort, begin to build in them the knowledge of your comfort. I pray that that can happen through people at this church who are tired of it, <laughs> who are exhausted. Remind us what you promised. 
that you're going to be there. You're already there. You were there 2,000 years ago when you died on the cross. Lead us and guide us. In Jesus' name, amen.